Hey everyone, welcome to a new episode of the Knucklehead Grappler. This is episode 3 with James Tenacity Tomlinson. He is the creator of a turn-based jiu-jitsu card game named Jugo. He is also a jiu-jitsu black belt and the co-creator of Bulletproof for BJJ. We talk about Jugo, kettlebells, his teaching style and essentialism. It was my first time recording with someone I hadn't met before, but JT was a great conversationalist. Due to some technical difficulties, the beginning of the conversation was lost, but we had started talking about the origins of Jugo, his love for playing Uno, and how Jugo can be used as a tool to teach kids and adults alike the basics. He also began explaining how Jugo was only just getting started and that the Cordec was the white belt edition, and that there were plans for expansion. This is where the audio begins. Thanks again for listening and enjoy the show. You were saying that you've got up on your wall, you've got like a blue belt, purple belt, black belt deck. Brown belt, black belt expansion. So originally when I made the game, I made like, I I guess I made the formal version. So when I first made the game, I had a girlfriend who was like an anti-jujitsu girlfriend. Yeah, right. Classic like, oh, why you got to train so much? Or why didn't you spend more time with me? Like, you know, anyway, I had already done jujitsu like seven, seven or eight years by that time. Yeah, I'm right. Like, look, if we're looking at this realistically, jujitsu is my first love and you're my side chick. So let's not get yeah. confused. You know that. what I mean? So it was kind of funny, but she's very good at games. Mm-hmm. She's really good at like um, poker, really good at tavali, like checkers, everything, right? Yeah, right. So I started like writing down positions on palm cards. In the same way with languages, you do flashcards, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. I would, I'd, I would do close guard. So I do close guard. And I think to myself, what comes from close guard? Mm-hmm. From close guard, you could do an arm bar. From close guard, you could do like a flower sweep. Mm-hmm. Or you could sweep to mount. You could do a cross choke from mount. And so I just started drawing very basic, like lead pencil on palm card things. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, all right, I've got to create a system. So I basically, the system was... Um, oh, look, I can even show it to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, it's just... Uh, so, basically, I divided the game into two halves, guard and top game, like takedown. Mm-hmm. So, you can initiate play by pulling guard or doing takedown. Mm-hmm. Guard goes to a sweep, which goes to a control, which goes to an attack. Yep. A takedown goes to a pass, which goes to a control, which goes to an attack. You know. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, you could take someone down and try and submit them. Mm-hmm. Or obviously you could pull guard and try and submit somebody, but really that's not necessarily going to be effective straight out the gate. Mm. If you take a step-by-step approach, you'll be more successful. Anyway, at that time I wasn't very nuanced in game design or anything. I'm just a jujitsu guy trying to make a game. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, my girlfriend was like, Oh, this is so nerdy. Like, why are you even doing this? Like, who's going to play this game? I'm like, fucking jujitsu people of course yeah like like yeah. what do you think right so anyway i made i made the very basic version of the game and i i started teaching it to her mm-hmm. and so what i initially like i when i was talking it over with one of my sisters explaining i was making this game she was like oh so how's it work and i said oh you play a submission card and then um they have to give up like an escape card to get out of the submission Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, but who said that your submission is as strong as like my defense or whatever? And I was like, okay. 
she's like, well, maybe you should make it random, like a dice roll. So I roll the dice to determine the strength of my attack. Mm -hmm. You roll the dice to determine the strength of your defense. I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. So then I started playing the game that way. Mm -hmm. And my girlfriend, like I, I did that and she was like, this is a sick game. She beat me four games in a row, bro. Mm -hmm. She fucking nailed me. Yeah. But that was the fucking thing. Someone who didn't like jujitsu liked the game of jujitsu. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. And this is super basic. This is a basic level. So I actually got 500 decks made of that game. Mm -hmm. Now, give me one second. I'll, sh I'll show you. Super basic. Mm -hmm. So this right here is the OG deck, which you can still buy, but there's only about 30 copies of this left. Mm -hmm. This is the original. I got 500 of them made here in Australia, and they cost me about $13.50 each to make. Right. Ridiculous. Yeah. But I got each deck has a limited edition card in it. Because mm -hmm. this is like the first ever. So I got 500 made, and um, so the graphics were like super basic. Right. Like black and white. Retro, mm -hmm. three yeah. points. That's a double leg takedown or oh, suplex. Suplex, yeah. You got a guy who's buried upside down, right? Yep. And so, like, for example, that's a spider guard. Mm -hmm. Right? Yep. So, I basically made it um, the takedowns are red mm -hmm. and guard is blue. It's red versus blue, hot versus cold, mm -hmm. um, water versus fire, however you look at it, right? Mm -hmm. And basically, um, there was no real skill involved. It was more um, just chance. Mm -hmm. Like I, I could, I could play a guard or I could play a takedown. It didn't really matter. I mean, obviously, I get points for taking you down. I don't get points for pulling guard. Mm -hmm. But it was just that idea of getting people to sequence it together, right? So I, I, I sold this game. It took me about eighteen months, and I sold like four hundred and fifty copies of the game. Okay. That was, that was a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And then the major feedback people gave me was, one, it's too basic, and two, I needed to upgrade the graphics. Okay. So I, I knew that, right? And I'm not a graphic designer or anything. I just like to draw. And So um, you did the, you did all the drawings for it? Yeah. So past and present? Like, so the version yeah. 2 point. Yeah, cool, man. 100%. So, yeah. so what happened was, in the process of... Um, making the game like i used to do graffiti when i was a teenager and i always loved drawing since i was like a kid i approached a friend of mine who's also a jiu-jitsu black belt who's a who's a graphic designer mm -hmm. i said to him yo i would love for you to do the drawings for this game because you're such a good artist i'll like go your halves in the game mm -hmm. he was like oh no nah, man like you gotta pay me to do these drawings and i was like oh okay well how much and he's like oh it's like 250 300 bucks a drawing i was like dude i've got 75 drawings man that's 15k bro yeah okay i've got 15k man that's why i'm like approaching you like let's work together he's like nah man it's my job and i'm like fuck you then i'll do it myself <laughs> yeah so um i got uh this is about 18 months ago i got uh ipad pro mm -hmm. um i got the big baby the like the 12, 12 yeah it's like a picture frame day. yeah yeah it's big big deal and uh, at that time procreate had just come out Okay. And if it wasn't for that app, really there wouldn't be Jugo in the format it's in now. Mm -hmm. So 
Procreate is basically like a more simple version of, say, like a Photoshop or Illustrator. Mm -hmm. And you can just draw straight onto the iPad. Mm -hmm. And I look, I'm a total retard, man. I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, seriously, I was like getting like a ruler and drawing a line on the iPad to try and get a straight line. Right? Yeah. Like seriously, for the first two months, I didn't know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I was getting like shot, shot glasses and like drawing around the edge to get circles. Then I went to the I, I, to the Apple store and I'm like, yo, I'm trying to do this thing. I don't know what I'm doing. I did one of their workshops and they're like, oh, it's real easy. You just, you can just put your pen there, do that and leave it there for three seconds and the line will auto-correct. joking. What? Fuck. And yeah. the same for circles. Just go like that, bleh, leave it there, and it'll just turn into a perfect circle. Yeah. I was like, God damn. So then I like started doing all these online courses like um through Udemy and um yep. going to like just paying for like not much, like 15, 20 bucks to yep. do online digital design, and then I just started fucking with it on my own level. Mm -hmm. And it took me about a year to do all the illustrations for the core deck now. Yeah, right. And so each each image took me about 12, 16 hours. But mm -hmm. I'm like way better now. Like I'm quicker and mm -hmm. you know, it gets better as you go. Yeah. Just like jiu-jitsu. And then so like it, it took me a lot of fucking around most of 2019. But finally I was able to get to a point where I could produce it and get it done by a professional games manufacturer. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the game was released in December 2019. Mm -hmm. It's now what, whatever. We're in May 2020, and I've sold more than a thousand decks. Yeah. Was there a big spike in ISO? Um. No. Well, it's kind of like not really, but like okay. Here's a big difference. So okay. I am kind of. I'm mates with Josh Hinger. I made friends with him through friends, and mm -hmm. I went to his seminar. Chad him is a really good guy. Mm -hmm. I played the game with him. He fucking loved it. And he's like, yeah, this is a great game. Well, I said, man, I'll give you a deck. I want to sponsor the Matt Burn podcast. Tell me how much it's worth. I'll sponsor it. Mm -hmm. And I also had to hustle to get an American distributor. Okay. Which is a whole nother fucking hassle. With mm -hmm. um, COVID going down, it was right at the time when I was trying to get a shipment to the USA. Right. And it almost didn't fucking happen. So that was like insanely stressful but basically got the shipment to the US got my distributor on board and I sold like 150 decks in like a month in the US yeah and I, I'm basically getting a sale anywhere between one and three sales every day from the US yeah right I get more sales from the US than I do in Australia okay so um, but here's the thing like for me it's obviously it's not working right now because there's no jujitsu, mm -hmm. but my goal is basically to have relationships with all the major jujitsu schools around Australia and have them selling wholesale. Yeah. Because I truly believe it's a great jujitsu product, and pretty much, if you love jujitsu, it's also a really good advocacy tool. So we've all got that friend who doesn't train, right? Yeah. And they're like that couch UFC fan. Yeah, totally. You just, want to, you just want them to come and train. You're like, come on, just come roll. Like yeah. fucking pussy, just just yeah. train. But right. the game, like Jugo, is a good way to like kind of get him in on it and get him thinking about jujitsu. Mm -hmm. 
and then they're interested and then you can kind of show them some moves or do whatever. Mm -hmm. But the interesting thing that happened, so I designed the game for like grown-up jujitsu nerds. Mm -hmm. I designed it for guys like you and me who love jujitsu and, and mm -hmm. just happy to have something else. Yep. But the majority of my customers, 70% of my customers are adults buying it for kids. Yeah. And kids, once they learn the principles of it, they fucking froth off it. They go mental. Mm -hmm. And they just want to play it all the time. And it's mad. I fucking, I'm so stoked because I never actually designed it for that. But the fact that a five-year-old can like learn the game and get on board with it, I'm, I'm fucking stoked. Mm -hmm. And I know how hard a kids class is. Yep. I actually taught kids class for a little while. And my... A lot of my friends who own their own gyms say it's like the hardest thing. It is a lot. So, honestly, it's a trip. Like I used to do like kids yeah. like school holiday soccer classes, and half the time it's just mm. wrangling and focus and okay and yeah, like just, with jits, it's like the extra like added level of you could snap someone's arm if like you're doing the wrong thing. So like telling an eight year old, yeah. hey, listen, just chill. Like he needs don't, to get it as well, right. you know. Like, yeah, it's just you've just got to be like bang on by the time you need a coffee or something to get into your own class kind of thing. So yeah, yeah man, it's. Sure. I think like, I just like also like just seeing how, like you know how basic it's run compared to say something that's like state sponsored and established like wrestling for example in the US like kids classes. It's just it's like polar opposites apart, man. Yeah. So, so like just getting I, into that I think I think conceptually just, I mean look kids doing anything's hard right mm -hmm. like um, it's like herding cats right mm -hmm. and parents, some parents want the daycare element some parents want their kid to be a world champion yeah parents, that's right? the other one but the good thing is like a lot of people out there who are kind of like probably your age my age a bit older mm -hmm. they've got kids and they want to get them into martial arts mm -hmm. Jugo is a really good step for that because it's almost like homework. Because yep. when they're practicing and playing with their brother, sister, their mates, mm -hmm. they're actually practicing jujitsu. So the big difference between the old game and the new game. Mm -hmm. So I played the old game with Dungeons and Dragons and Magic Heads and mm -hmm. all kinds of gamers, right? Mm -hmm. And they're like, "Oh, it's too basic. Like this, it didn't, it didn't, even they didn't click with it." And I knew that it didn't really represent jujitsu, so. What I did was I was like, okay, I need to reward players for doing actual jujitsu sequences. Mm -hmm. Now, some people might look at the sequences I've picked and say, oh, I don't think that that's a sequence. But like, I've done jujitsu 12 years. I mean, I know from my own perspective what I would do from closed guard or what I would do from like a knee cut pass or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And other people might do other shit. Yeah. But fuck it. It's my, it's my game, right? So mm -hmm. I, I want it to be very close to jiu-jitsu but it's never going to be exactly jiu-jitsu yeah so but the idea is that i made flow icons so let me i'll just pull up a deck so if you look at the design like all these blue and red icons over the pack mm -hmm. they are the flow icons it's still the same thing with like blue versus red fire versus water type thing but if you look so the armbar, right? Mm -hmm. If you look in the top right corner, mm -hmm. there's the arrow, there's the target. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. That's the takedown icon, mm -hmm. right? But that takedown icon is directly linked with a foot sweep, which is like, yeah. 
But if we go bottom left, we got the little butterfly mm-hmm. and also the wave icon. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, you can do an armbar from anywhere, but I had to think about how to, like, kind of, as a thought map, how to do a flow chart of, like, close guard, flower sweep, mount, armbar, or cross mm-hmm. choke, or bang, 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 right? Mm-hmm. A sequence that would actually occur in Jiu Jitsu. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, basically, the. I, I also was like, right, I have to have a power of attack because originally people were just rolling the dice. And everyone thinks like, I got the lucky hand, I can roll the dice, but it's all just fucking chance. Mm-hmm. The difference with the strategy in the game now is the more of the icons you link together. So like the same when you um, have a, a full house in, in, in um, whatever, rummy or like uh, you get a, a, a flush. Mm-hmm a run of four or five cards. Mm-hmm. It's stronger than like two pairs, mm-hmm. right? Yep. That's what I was trying to do. So I said, you know, it's cumulative. So one card by itself is only worth one. Mm-hmm. But if you match up those icons and you get two of a kind, three of a kind, four of a kind, it gets stronger. Mm-hmm. That's why you want to do that. Yep. Because if you play an unrelated sequence, like let's just, you say random takedown, random pass, random attack. It doesn't have a strength, so then you got to roll the dice. So it's you, you're punting, right? Yeah. And what will happen as the blue belt, purple belt, black belt comes in, the sequences will get stronger. Yeah. So you'll be able to link more attacks, and they'll be more powerful. Yeah. Also, right now, I'm working on character cards. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I'm going to do a Josh Hinger card because he's my mate. He's my mm-hmm. bro. I said I'd do it. Mm-hmm. He has a particular sequence that he does, and it's like his power combo, right? Yeah. So it's like if you were being Damien Meyer, he would have a power sequence. So it's kind of like Street Fighter where you pick a character. Yeah. And, you, you know, you're playing the game, but if you get that power combo, like, bam, 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 like 15-hit combo, boosh. Yeah. It's game over, right? Yeah. And so that's that's basically where I want the game to go. And, like, right now I'm actually working on – um, some other elements to make the game, I guess, more interesting mm-hmm. for adults more than for children. Yeah. But, but yeah, basically, I want it to be like syllabus. So if you got a white belt and you want them to play the game, you're like, get the core deck. And then maybe they get their blue belt and as a gift, they can get the blue belt expansion. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and literally, you could... No, I know every school's syllabus is different. Like, yep. I know Will Machado's syllabus is different to, you know, Atos or wherever, you know. Yep. But it's basic enough that here's white belt, here's blue belt, and, and I've thought through it a fucking bunch, you know. I'm obsessed it's, with this shit. Yep. The, you know, the toe holds and the knee bars and whatever are brown and black. Yeah. The heel hooks and the 50-50 and all of that, that's, that's in the more advanced version. Yep. And, and then basically it's just tweaking the game mechanics to make the game closer to jiu-jitsu mm-hmm. and fun. Beautiful. It seems like you've got this all figured out and like you're thinking like 10 steps ahead, man. It's, this is, it's a trip because like, yeah, just listening to that and list, reading this book, man, I was just like, like it was almost like a serendipitous moment where just like it just was there. I'm like, wow. Like, I just, and I, I like how people think about different ways of teaching and learning jiu-jitsu. Like, sometimes mm. I think that, like, you know, the the current level of where jiu-jitsu has been taught at, like, it's not engaging or it's too hard. Like, like people, you can't mm. link up these things. So, like, thinking outside the box like this is brilliant. Now, you're, yeah. you're a jiu-jitsu black belt, yeah? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I got my black belt from Lachlan Giles about two years ago. Oh, right. And so you, you teach your black belt? Uh, so I teach, um, I actually teach out in Bayswater at okay. King's MMA. So yep. I'm the head jiu-jitsu coach there. Yep. It's like affiliated with Absolute. Yep. But um, I used to teach the morning classes in Absolute when it was back in South Yarra. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, anyway, like for work reasons, I couldn't keep doing it. And also Craig Jones needed a job. <laughs> yeah, okay. So they, they, gave, they gave the morning classes to Craig. Yeah, so I... And, um, yeah, it's all good, you know, so that's... That was back when we were purple belts, and uh, actually, he was purple belt, I was brown belt. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, like, do you have a different I way teach- of approaching it, like of, of approaching like classes and teaching beginners, and because you know how like sometimes gyms they'll have the white belts and the color belts in the same class, like, yeah. what, what's your like yeah, well, basically I- what's your teaching style? Well, look, man, like I said, like I've been so I've been a personal trainer for. Uh, 18 years. Yeah. And so teaching technique of anything, mm-hmm. you've got to be able to start at a very basic level. Mm-hmm. It first starts with movement and people obviously need to be able to generate the movement. If they can't even do the movement, there's no chance they're going to do the technique. Mm-hmm. So I always make my warm ups very specific. Mm-hmm. So another thing that I do is a thing called Bulletproof for BJJ. Yeah, when I was doing research for you, man, I, I put the name to the face. Like I was just that's like, right, that's where I know this person from. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. So, so basically, like a lot of the warm up and movement prep we do for my jiu jitsu classes is bulletproof work, like right. in terms of mobility and getting ready. Mm-hmm. I explain what we're working on and how we're working on it. Mm-hmm. I usually start each class with a takedown, whether it be in the gi or no gi. So mm-hmm. it's either because I train judo as well. So it'll oh, right. be like a judo takedown in the gi, mm-hmm. or it'll be like a wrestling drill, mm-hmm. just because I always feel like. I didn't get enough of that when I was earlier in jiu-jitsu. Yeah, totally. And I, I feel like it, it, it's not like it's the most important thing, but you need to learn it. Mm-hmm. Like, even if you choose not to wrestle, even if you choose not to throw somebody, mm-hmm. you need. I feel like you need it as a basic, yep. as the fundamental. Mm-hmm. And then we'll be going into whatever. So uh, kind of the way I work it is I will teach on a two-week cycle. So the... Week one will be a position and maybe all the things about that position. Week two will be attacking that position. Yeah. So, for example, if we do close guard one week, the next week will be passing close guard. Mm-hmm. But what that means is the student gets two weeks of attack and defense mm-hmm. solidly in that position. Yep. If that makes sense. Yep. And, and I will break it up, but basically it goes like close guard, half guard, um, butterfly guard, X guard, and then I will drill in on defenses and attacks. So we will do a two-week stint of just certain submissions and certain defenses, mm-hmm. and we kind of cycle through. So in terms of, sorry, come back to your question about having beginners and advanced in the same class. Mm-hmm. Typically, I have a class of about 25 students. Mm-hmm. Five are advanced, uh, 15 are like beginner and 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 like we got three or four never done jujitsu type people yeah right so the way that i have to drop it down is i do like a layer so i'm like here's layer one here's the thing you guys need to kind of practice that and uh, you know whatever people say about drilling whatever like people have to get a basic conception of what the fuck they're doing yep then i go right for those of you who know this here's level two so if you already passed this Here's level two, go practice level two. Mm-hmm. Get them all to work, come back, guys. Now, 
For those of you who are new, here's level two. For those of you who are more advanced, here's level three. Mm-hmm. And if you want, here's a submission on the end, or like you can go here. Yeah. And usually my advanced guys will start to ask me questions already around the more advanced shit. Yeah. But they already know how I'm taking it. Then once everybody's kind of across what we're doing, I will set up specific training. Mm-hmm. So what we will do is we will have like on the line, you know, have five people out, yep. people on the line, and they'll have a very basic objective, like get out of this guard. All you have to do is get out. You don't have to pass. You just got to get out. Mm-hmm. Person on the bottom, you must sweep. No submission. So it's like, it's same thing layering. It's like super basic objective. Yeah. Person doesn't know what they're doing. You just need to get the hell out of there. Do whatever you can. Yeah. So you kind of start Person with like a constraint based approach first. Like, and then and go. Then we, and once they've done that for five minutes, it's like, right, guys, here's a new level of complexity. Yep. Person on the bottom is not just trying to sweep, they're trying to submit. Yep. So if you know what a submission is, that's good. If you don't, no problem. Also, person on top, you can't just get out of the guard. You must now pass the guard. So we just explained, like, you have to get, you know, chest on chest or take the back or get the mount, which is like, even if they don't know terminology, they just know they've got to beat the legs. Mm-hmm. But in the process of scrambles, they usually, you know, if they're new, they're not getting swept or whatever. Like, But it's just like, okay, step one, mm-hmm. just struggle there a bit. Okay, mm-hmm. now let's go beyond that and go, here's step one plus, plus step two. Mm-hmm. Then I go, right, here's step three, guys. Both of you are trying to get a dominant position. Yep. And then I will say right at the end of that 20-minute sequence, submissions are in. If you're passing, you may also attack a submission. Yep. And that kind of ramps them up to rolling. Mm-hmm. Then I will start the rolling rounds. Yeah. Does that make sense? So Totally. I make sure that their body is ready to do the thing I'm going to ask them to do. Mm-hmm. I try to give a very basic principle and kind of work out from there, like a position and the principle of the position. Mm-hmm. So they understand what they need to work on, give them at least five to 10 minutes to kind of get it in their head. They know what they're doing and give me a chance to see that the majority of everyone in the room knows what's going on. Yep. Then go, right, here's a little bit more. See if they're still understanding it. Okay, we're good, we're good. And I will go to each of them and check on what they're doing and say, you, do you get that? No, don't put your hand here, put it here, blah, blah. And then add that third little piece and hopefully they're not overwhelmed. Like I try and keep it the two pieces of solid information, Mm -hmm. but then straight away get them to apply it in a live situation. Yeah, right. So Like specific situation training is a big thing that we do at St. Kilda. Yeah. So a big part of what we do in our pro sessions, like with Lockie and Craig and like all the pro jujitsu guys, Mm -hmm. when when we do our ADCC training or any of the pro sessions, gi or no gi, yeah. We have a warm up. We have our own drill. So we we pick a position or a, a takedown or like you just five minutes of what you want to do to your partner. Then your partner gets five minutes of what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Then Lockie will nominate a specific thing to work on, like escaping a single leg or defending from the back or whatever. Yep. Then you get a chance to kind of it's not it's not drilling. It's kind of like a lighter rolling. Mm-hmm. Then Lockie will go right situation you're both in 50 50 one person's trying to heel hook other person's trying to escape go and then that's what you do non-stop for a full round yeah and then and then you switch and then you're attacking and they're defending and Mm -hmm. each time you're really learning some pretty 
uh, important information about that position. Yep. And once we've done three rounds of that, three eight-minute rounds, then we do three or four full rounds of pure rolling, which yep. is from the feet, which is pretty tough. Yeah. But the thing that Lockie is big on is as much as, don't get me wrong, like when I came up, it was like technique and then just roll, right? Yeah. Like I started at Peter DeBean's All right. uh, back in the day. Uh, in St Kilda. Yep. And then I actually trained under Dan Cherubin for three or four years in South Geelong. Yeah, right. So Dan Cherubin gave me my purple belt. Mm-hmm. I trained under him. I got my blue from Pete and then I started training under Dan and Pete just said, look, they they had a falling out and said, look, you can't train there and train here. So I chose to train under Dan because in my opinion, Dan's a better instructor. Mm-hmm. Nothing gets Pete. All respect to him. I love him. He's yep. a ledge. But... um. Dan, Dan was my guy. And uh, yeah, man. And then after a while, like, so I got my purple from Dan. I trained under Dan for three or four years. And then I, my work changed, my life changed. I was in Melbourne. I was training at Absolute in the CBD with Thiago. Yep. And then I was traveling and training. And I trained with Lockie over in Brazil when him and Liv were there. And they said they were going to open a gym. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, sick. And they said it would be an Absolute gym. So I was like, that's great. And basically, Thiago and Lockie gave me my brown belt, mm-hmm. and I started teaching there. And then eventually, I got my black belt under Lockie. So, in terms of like learning, yep. my also training in Brazil, and tra- so I trained in Sao Paulo with Alliance under Fabio Gajel. Okay, cool. And in my opinion, it's like possibly some of the best teaching I ever seen in terms of being very technical, breaking it all down, so many details. But then also some of the hardest training of my fucking life. Yeah. So it's that mixture of learning mm-hmm. and hardcore applying what you learn. Yeah, okay. And and just fucking fighting to the death for positional control or points. Right. So they have a thing where they have a role from a where you might be in a bad situation and it's first points. Right. You have to go from a bad situation and turn it into points somehow. Yep. It is fucking so brutal, bro, because I have seen 20-minute rolls where no person scored any points. Yeah, right. Yes. And they're just fighting to the death. Yeah. It's, it's savage. Yeah. Because, like, yeah, okay, if they submit the other person, they win the roll. Mm-hmm. But it's, like, when it's, like, first points or submission and you've got, like, two very evenly matched guys, it's just a war. Mm-hmm. Because if... They go to take them down, but then they scramble up. There's no points. Like, advantage doesn't count for shit. Mm-hmm. Or if they almost get the back, but then the other guy gets out and he comes on top, then he might get points, so then he scrambles up. And it's, like, really super tough. And I think, like, both myself and Lachlan, because Lockie trained at Cabrinha, so did I. Mm-hmm. Lockie trained at Atos. Like, I think all the major Australian competitors go to international teams. Yep. And they see how they teach and they see how they train and they adapt it. And I mean, also Lachlan's a smart guy. Yeah. He worked out what worked the best for him. Mm -hmm. And he basically shaped the training and said, guys, I think this is the best way that we can get better. He's like, I'm not going to tell you what you should get better at. You have to choose. Like with the senior guys or the pro guys. Mm -hmm. But he said... Like the basics, like his approach to no gi and like advanced level black belt stuff. Mm-hmm. He's like, it's wrestling and leg locks mm-hmm. for ADCC. Mm-hmm. That's what he said. He's like, I'm 
just focusing on being the best wrestler I can be and the best leg locker I can be. He basically worked on that solidly for two years. Damn. And, um, yeah, man, look, no one really knows, like, Lockie's actually a really good wrestler. Yeah. Um, everyone knows about his leg locks now, but yeah. um, definitely I think the next ADCC you'll see him wrestle more. Yeah, look, the, the proof's in the pudding, really, the way he just... He smashed that like that. That run was one of the craziest things I've ever seen in my life. Going bro, against, bro, I was there, man. Yeah, I was actually, back. So I was backstage warming him up, bro. Yeah, I'm telling you, man. Being there was the best moment in my jujitsu life, bro. When he submitted Kanan, yeah, the whole ADC went fucking mental, bro. I'm like, I'm. I was going to say like there was some bore, like there was some really good fights, but there was also some boring fights. Mm-hmm. But, like, Kanan just won heavyweight. And, like, when Lockie submitted him in, like, two and a half minutes, man, the whole stadium erupted. Like, three and a half thousand yeah. people just went, yeah. Mm. And, bro, like, we were all there. And then he was like, is this a dream? Like, what's happening right there? He wasn't even sweating, hey. Yeah. He was just so chill. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. And then the funny thing is, like, Patrick Gaudio, he's a tough guy, right? Mm-hmm. He just had a war with Mike Perez on his side of the bracket mm-hmm. and he fucking split his head and he was gassed and he had a 20 minute war mm-hmm. and I was looking at Gaudio and he was fucked and I was looking at Lockie and Lockie was just like just whatever and I was like I think he can do it again mm-hmm. and don't get me wrong he did have to work pretty hard like Patrick almost passed him he's working super hard to keep his guard but then he gave his leg and he didn't tap and fucking Lockie said his knee popped like four times, bro. Like the dude couldn't walk, man. He fucking crippled him. So, man, that was huge. So when he did it a second time, everybody was like, fuck, maybe Lockie can do this, you know? Mm-hmm. But then obviously he fought Gordon Ryan and that was like, you know, that's as hard a fight as you're ever going to have. But yep. the truth is, Lockie almost fucking heel hooked him. I saw that. And this is the, th- man, this is the thing a lot of people don't know. Tom DeBlas, so we were standing like ringside, we were in the background. Mm-hmm. Tom DeBlas was watching, so because he was refereeing for the ADCC. He's like, what the fuck is Gordon doing? Mm-hmm. Why is he giving this guy his feet? Like, mm. he's playing with fire. This cunt is on one. Yeah. Why is he put like he was even saying like man you shouldn't do that and then straight away as soon as Lockie like reached for it and missed yeah he pulled Gordon back was like oh no no yeah, he yeah. just like backed out and yeah. got low and crushed down you know he did what he does which is like crushes the pass takes the back and just chokes your fucking face off mm-hmm. but to Lockie's credit he went like eight minutes thirty he almost went the distance he almost yeah. went ten minutes with you yeah. But then, you know, that sets up the final between Bashesha and Gordon. But then you've got the biggest motherfucker in the whole tournament in Muhammad Ali. Yeah. Six foot five, 135 kilos, bro. He was so juicy, man. He was so jacked. Yeah. So when they looked, sh- shook hands and Lockie like sat down to like butterfly guard. Yeah. He was shorter than Muhammad Ali's kneecaps, bro. Yeah, like, man. He was that's like crazy. And Muhammad just walked in, bro. He just mm-hmm. walked in, pulled a leg out, walked in, and Lachlan's like, okay, dude, here we go. Bah! Best moment of my jiu-jitsu life, bro. It yeah. was like amazing. That's that's crazy, crazy stuff, man. So what I was going to say is you can expect to see a Lachlan Giles card. Yeah, that's right. The, yeah. There'll be the outside Sankaku to uh, inside your hook in there as well. 
Yes, that's yeah. That again, that's amazing that you were backstage, man, training him. Now you've obviously got experience training people from all walks of life, right? And one thing I, I'm doing research that I've found out is were you one of the first kettlebell instructors in Australia? Yeah, I was actually. So way back in the day, 2008, uh, the Australian Kettlebell Company did a certification called an AKC, mm-hmm. which if we reflect on it was basically a rip-off of the RKC. Yeah, okay. Um, it was probably a little bit more scientific because um, they wrote it, they co-wrote it with a physio from Queensland called Ben Minos. Mm-hmm. Ben's a really smart guy, weightlifter, bodybuilding coach, just really smart guy mm-hmm. also Ifim who Ifim Kurobatsky who's my mentor taught me kettlebells he helped write the manual as well and he's originally he's from Russia he was a Russian military PT mm-hmm. he also played ice hockey for Belarus and he uh, made the Russian national team for ice hockey mm-hmm. so he had insane level knowledge about kettlebells so they put this course together I'd already trained kettlebells for a year before the course came out mm-hmm. And me, me, my best mate, Chris, and a couple of people, we did, 30 people did the course, mm-hmm. but only eight people actually passed the course mm-hmm. and got certified. So I was one of those eight people. And then not long after that, I started working for the Australian Kettlebell Company, which later became Iron Edge. Mm-hmm. So, and I helped build up that brand, but then we all kind of got a bit fucked over. So then we left and started our own gym and that's how that goes. But yeah, like if him, in my opinion, is basically possibly the one of the best trainers I've ever seen or met. And he has the Russian methodology for strength training, but he also applies it to bodybuilding and kettlebells and everything. So he's a super knowledgeable guy, just basically just absolutely understands the science of strength. And he taught that to me. So to have him as my mentor was amazing. Mm-hmm. And then basically through the work that myself, Chris, and everyone did at the Australian Kettlebell, uh, also a woman named Emily Friedel, mm-hmm. Australia's first ever kettlebell champion, she she was a big part of it. Mm-hmm. We helped spread kettlebells all across Australia. So part of the reason why you see kettlebells in gyms all around Australia, Fitness First, everywhere, is because of some of that work we did in the early days. Mm-hmm. But then, unfortunately, when Iron Edge kind of fell off and... Mm-hmm there was like a big gap in the knowledge because they were running workshops and shit. And so there's all these kettlebells, but not everyone knows how to use them. Mm. Um, Pavel Satsulin, who's like the, you know, really the OG for bringing kettlebells to the West. Mm. He, <laughs> I mean, he, unfortunately he lost ownership of the RKC. Mm-hmm. Um, and he kind of lost a few things, but he's come back with a you know, strong first. Yeah. And that's his new, new version of RKC. And I thought about doing it, but really all the shit, it's just rehashed RKC stuff mm-hmm. and it's all stuff that I know. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, it's a really good certification. A friend of mine, Seamus Hayes, did it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like, you've got to be very good at kettlebells to do it. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I could probably teach it. And I'm not saying that in an arrogant way. I'm just saying like I've done kettlebells for yeah. like, you know, 12 years more, like 13, what is it? It was two, yeah, two, more than 12 years now. So... I guess the thing about kettlebell training is when I came, I'd done it for about a year before I came to jiu-jitsu, it really works your grip and it really works your core. Yep. And they're the two things that you really fucking need for jiu-jitsu. Yeah, I was just, yeah. Strong grip and a strong core. So when I came to jiu-jitsu, man, even as a white belt, like physically I was owning dudes mm-hmm. just off like sheer athleticism. Mm-hmm. And I, it was kind of funny to me because like I knew I was a jiu-jitsu retard 
but I knew that by gripping strong and like being a awkward motherfucker and grinding dudes were having a hard time with me and um so then like I just started teaching kettlebells to people and then I came up with this idea of grapple fitness mm-hmm. which is you know still my email mm-hmm. but you know a couple of years ago Joey and I who's like my best friend mm-hmm. we, he had already started bulletproof slightly differently mm-hmm. but we merged our collective ideas together to come up with the program which is now bulletproof for BJJ yeah now you touched on the two main things that you think that jiu-jitsu guys need like in terms of core and grip now like you know and i know a lot of jiu-jitsu guys don't look after their body like there's no prehab there's nothing that's just like my cardio and my strength training is just rolling flat out like what would you think would be the main like i've blown out a knee like i've blew my lcl and my meniscus in my right knee now, what would you yeah. think would be the best prehab for like for for jujitsu guys? Look, I think like maintenance is the biggest thing. Yeah, one of the biggest things we're trying to change is like maintenance and recovery. Mm-hmm. So, like I did taekwondo for fifteen years. Mm-hmm. So that we're doing taekwondo, like we used to stretch before class, like dynamic stretching, kicking, all that. Then after class, we used to stretch for half an hour. Mm-hmm. Like splits, front splits, standing up against the wall, having someone pushing your leg back, like all kinds of like just really pushing your body to be able to move in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. And it's funny coming to jujitsu is such a like an informal martial art. Mm-hmm. There's no like apart from obviously some gyms have more structure than others. Mm-hmm. After you've rolled to the death, you just collapse on the floor and be like yeah good roll bro mm-hmm. and then everybody kind of fucks out maybe you bow out or i don't know how it works at your gym but yep. oftentimes class is over and everybody either keeps rolling or kind of fucks off yeah really what people should do is stop a roll or two short before you're completely ruined and then actually start to warm down because this is going to help one get new blood into the muscles to help them repair and two it's going to help get rid of the waste product. Mm-hmm. So like Tour de France, they're on a bike for six to eight hours. What do they do when they come off? Mm-hmm. They get on a bike and they keep pedaling to pump all the waste products out of their muscles. Now, obviously they're hydrating and eating and but they don't just stop moving all of a sudden. You don't go from absolute fight to the fucking death and then collapse. Yep. And a lot of people don't remember in that old Art Suave fucking VHS tape of of Galvalm yeah. doing all the gymnastica natural. That's his warm down. Yeah. He's already rolled. He's already done all his techniques. He does that for 20 minutes afterwards to keep his body loose, right? Mm-hmm. So what we have a Bulletproof for BJJ is like a post-class stretch routine slash active mobility work that you do to help loosen up those tight bits so that when you wake up the next day, you don't feel like a fucking old man. You yeah. wake up, you're like, okay, like, sure, you might have a bruise or you might whatever, but you yep. wake up and you're like, oh, okay, I'm all right. I can do it all again. Yep. You know what I mean? And I think this is a huge problem. So from an injury prevention perspective, the post-class warm down is big. Mm-hmm. The other thing is the preparation. Now, you can't expect expert jiu-jitsu instructors to necessarily be expert like strength conditioning coaches right it's a, it's a different skill set but a lot of jiu-jitsu warm-ups are just not necessarily appropriate to your body 
Mm-hmm. Like your body is different to my body. Your mm-hmm. injuries are different to my injuries. Mm-hmm. I reckon I've probably had a lot more than you. Not without generalizing, I, I've I've had a stack. Though, that's the thing, man. I've had an yeah, absolute stack. Right. I'm a spaz. Yeah, but I mean, it's one of those things, man. That like you've got to make sure before class mm-hmm. you need to show up ten minutes early. Mm-hmm. Instead of just talking shit with the boys and banter, mm-hmm. you can do that, but you should be opening up your hip flexors, getting your glutes switched on, mm-hmm. opening up your chest, mobilizing through your thoracic warming up your neck, getting your core engaged, just all this shit. So even if the warm-up is totally irrelevant to your body, you do the proper prep for your body, for mm-hmm. your rig. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a bad ankle, you do your prehab, rehab work for your ankle. Mm-hmm. Or if you've got a bad knee, you get your you get your um, calf, hamstring and quad engaged so it's working right, the blood's flowed. You know, it's like prepared for the work you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, like, people look at it like, oh, it's really fucking hard work. You know it's really fucking hard work? Coming back from an ACL reconstruction. Yeah. Tell you. That's a lot of pain. It's a lot of painkillers. And it's a lot of time not doing jiu-jitsu, which is fucked. Mm-hmm. So because it's hard to relate the two of them, until you get in that really bad situation, you don't appreciate it. But then when you come back from it, then you go, right, I never want to go there again. So look, man, I, I think... One, everybody needs uh, a strength program as part of what they're doing. And I'm not saying everybody's going to be doing big, heavy deadlifts. Mm-hmm. It's more about like balancing out the evils that jiu-jitsu does. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we get rounded posture, we get tight hip flexes, you know, a stiff lower back. Your strength work isn't necessarily like, oh, this is replicating what I do on the mat. No, actually, it's the opposite. Right. We have to strengthen up your scapulas, pull shoulders back stretch out your chest stretch out your lats oh we've got to open up your hip flex and get your glutes engaged so you don't end up with lower back problems Mm -hmm. right it's like you might be using your hamstring too much because you're like hooking and squeezing with the back of your leg Mm -hmm. okay we've got to do a little bit of work in your quads and 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 get you um get your knee more stable Mm -hmm. through doing single leg work not just two leg work Mm -hmm. you know Look at your ankles. If your ankles are jacked up, you can't squat properly, okay? You've got to do some ankle mobility just to make sure your knees work properly. Don't even worry about fucking jujitsu. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, everybody's given it all to the cause. But it's one of those things that, like, I, I guess the different conversations I've had with people over the years is, like, when I've had, like, some wealthier but unhealthier clients mm-hmm. say, look, if you're in the hospital and you're on a respirator, and you're fucked. Mm-hmm. How can you help your business? Mm-hmm. You can't. If you if you're in the hospital and you, you're unconscious, how can you help your family? Uh, you can't. Like, sure, the money's in the bank, but you can't do shit. You mm-hmm. are not an effective human. Mm-hmm. If you go to jujitsu and you rico your knee, how can you lay bricks? That's it. You can't. If your skill set revolves around using your body. How are you going to make money? You can't. Mm-hmm. That's a burden on your family. That's a burden on, on, you, on your friends. Like you aren't helping anyone by being fucked up. Mm-hmm. Now you can be like, oh yeah, but I didn't tap. No one gives a fucking shit. Yeah. Right? Outside of jujitsu, who cares? Like you can act all proud, but it, at the end of the day, for the most people, they're not trying to be jujitsu world champions. They're just trying to get better at this thing they love. Yeah. And the key thing is being able to maintain yourself. And no one tells you that. When you sign up for Jiu-Jitsu, they go, well, in six months, 
you're going to have a bulge disc and a, and a rotator cuff injury. Yeah. And then in about 18 months, you're going to pop your ankle. Then you're going to tear your hamstring. And you're just going to keep training anyway. And in four years, you're going to quit. All the best. Welcome to jiu-jitsu. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no, one, no one fucking tells you that. Right? Yeah. But this is literally a lot of people. People get so injured, they actually have to quit jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't actually have to be that way. The problem is... It's like a hidden cost. It's like in the fine fine writing. Like no one tells you that the, the hidden cost of jiu-jitsu is you have to be a re- decent level of strength. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a decent level of flexibility. And that's not because you're trying to be a superhuman. It's just so that you can fucking take your rig rally driving. Mm-hmm. If you're going to take your rig rally driving, you either need a best mate who's a mechanic or you better fucking be a mechanic. Mm-hmm. So what we're trying to do with Bulletproof is give people the tools to fix their own cars. Mm-hmm. That's basically what we're trying to do, mm-hmm. and and really, you need to know you need to know how to change a flat tire, mm-hmm. right? You need to know how to put water and oil in your fucking car, mm-hmm. and really, you should take your shit to get serviced semi regularly. So go get a massage, go get a treatment, have a myotherapist because you're going to get kinks and you're going to get problems, and if you don't nip them in the bud when they're just a kink, it'll turn into a break. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So. Totally. It's important also to have a relationship with the therapist to just go see him once every couple of months just to get tuned up. Yeah. I recommend once a month, but you know, whatever. Like yeah. It's up to how much you train. And if you're an instructor, you need your body. It should be more regular. Yeah. You know. Totally, man. This has been just eye-opening. Um, just one last question, man. And thank you so much for your time. Um, you seem like I've just gone through Graham, and like you seem like a reader, right? Was there one book yeah, that man. you would recommend? Yeah, man, Essentialism. Yeah, who's that by? Essentialism by Greg McEwen. Yep. Now I don't know. You probably have to go through Book Depository. I don't think. I think it's like not in print right now through Amazon. Or um, what I like to do, I guess, a lot of what people don't see is I listen to audio books flat out. Yeah. So I listen to podcasts. I also listen to audio books. Yeah. I probably listen to one audio book a week. Yep. Um, you could definitely get it on audio. It's really good. I've listened to it like five times. I've reread the book five times. It's super good. So essentialism is all about finding your focus. Mm-hmm. So basically what, what the author says is being an essentialist is not something that you do occasionally. Mm-hmm. It's something that you are. Mm-hmm. And at the heart of being an essentialist is this motto, less but better. Okay. Now, a myth that he dispels is this idea of priorities. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm one of the worst people for trying to do too much shit. Right now, I'm writing a book. I'm doing the expansion on the game. I'm getting the Japanese distribution. I'm trying to draw the comic. I'm fucking plotting how to do the animated series and pitch it to Netflix. You know, like I'm fucking, I'm doing content for Bulletproof for BJJ. We're looking at how we can do that in Japan. I'm filming kettlebell DVDs. I'm, I'm working as a furniture removalist. I'm pretending that I'm a half decent boyfriend. Well, I love you. I love you. You're beautiful. Um, my girlfriend is yelling at me. She's telling me to not swear if you're recording. <laughs> I said, it's all right. He's already sworn. It's, it give me a license. I'm just being myself. Don't hold me back. Right? But basically, 
he took the saying from somebody else. I think it was the maker of this. This there's, it's totally abstract. You'll you'll read about it. Mm-hmm. It's a, a Dutch company, I think, and they make this shelving system. Mm-hmm. And the shelving system is so perfect. They were going to make tables and do all this other stuff. It's all they make, mm-hmm. right? And they're fucking perfectionists. Mm-hmm. And they, are, it's a German saying: "This less but better." But they use it as their fucking as their motto yeah Yeah. and the idea is that 99% of everything in life is noise 1% is what you should be doing which is the shit you care about Mm -hmm. and and the important thing about this is when you actually really push to the side what is noise and what you want to spend your life doing Mm -hmm. your life will get dramatically better and you have to get good at saying no and you have to be comfortable with people not being happy with that because other people end eventually will be jealous of you having purpose and them not having purpose. Yeah. And essentialism is basically, it's, it's making the argument that if you don't know what you want to do with your life, you got to find it. Yep. And once you find it, you, you, you've just got to zero in. You've got to be like, right, I'm doing this. Now I understand that obviously everything needs an economic engine. Yep. There has to be something that makes money, right? Like, so I usually get paid to teach jujitsu. I can't teach jujitsu right now, but I'm an entrepreneur. You know, I've been self-employed a lot of years. As soon as I can't make money one way, I'm going to make money another way. So, furniture removal, any fucking lug can do it, right? Mm-hmm. I like lifting heavy shit for a live. Like, I lift heavy shit when you don't pay me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I just, I'll just pick up a big fucking barbell because I feel like it. So, it's actually a job that I can actually get some money right now when all the other jobs are shut down. But then also, you know, I've got a bit of income coming in from Jugo, a bit of income coming in from Bulletproof, like drips and drabs. But essentially, it's all in the name of making Jugo successful. So I used to really be a competitor. I'm still a competitor, but not in the scene, right? Yeah. I'm taking my competitive energy and I'm applying it to business and culture. Mm-hmm. My goal is to change jujitsu culture. Mm-hmm. I want to better inform how people learn. And I want to influence world culture by getting more people to do jujitsu. Jugo is an advocacy tool. Yep. Right? It's a, it's a way to get more people in the world thinking jujitsu. Because jujitsu is like the best thing in my life. Mm-hmm. So my two major businesses are based around jujitsu. So even if I'm not like world champion in jujitsu, think about this. Who was the lightweight world champion in 1999? You don't fucking know. You can't tell me. No. That guy was like the greatest of all time. It doesn't fucking matter. It only really matters in his context. Yeah. Right? Uno was made in 1936. We're still playing it. Right? It survives. It lives because it's universal. Mm-hmm. It's about sharing and fun. This is also about sharing and fun. I'm not trying to be Craig Jones. Craig Jones is a fucking asshole. Like, who wants to be that guy? I mean, don't get me wrong. He's a fucking G. Like, the guy's a legend, right? Like, sure, but he's a fuckwit. Like, I don't want to be that guy. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying, oh, if I did what he did, I could be him. But as someone who's trained with him for many years and known him very well for a long time, I looked at him and I thought, actually, man, even if I work my ass off, I don't want to be... like. Being at the top of the podium is a great thing. But if I think about my life, contribution is very important as yeah. a principle and a value. T- 
teaching and sharing jiu-jitsu is an important contribution for my life. Mm-hmm. If, let's say, some young kid, their friend did jiu-jitsu and played judo, and they played judo together, and he got into jiu-jitsu, and he became world champion. And one day, when I'm a fucking old guy, which I kind of am, but maybe later down the track, he goes, hey, man, I'm a jiu-jitsu world champion because I started playing judo. That would make my fucking life, right? That would be so dope. But that's why I'm writing a book right now because the story of the bullied kid who does martial arts to learn self-defense is my story. Mm-hmm. But that's also the story of George St. Pierre. That's also the story of Mark Coleman. That's the story of so many people. They got beat down and they're like, fuck this. I need to change my life. How do I do it? And martial arts is the fucking way, mm-hmm. right? So I want a story that can capture the imagination of not only kids, but teenagers and adults to get more people training martial arts because martial arts gets us more connected. Mm -hmm. And even though you and me are here connecting on technology, I personally feel Instagram, Facebook, all this shit is not helping us. Social media is not as great as it's being held up for. Mm -hmm. So, you think about it. When you roll somebody, you really get to know that motherfucker. You know if they're shifty. You know if they'll crank that submission. You know if they're merciful. You really learn somebody by interacting with them. Yep. Now, I understand Corona's kind of fucked the game up, but it'll pass. We'll come back. We'll train again. Mm-hmm. If we can get more people on the mats, more people working together, stronger communities, community is what builds humanity. Yep. The problem is so much of our society right now is isolated society and i'm not even talking about i'm not talking covid i'm talking last year june last year how many motherfuckers were in a gym with beats by dre headphones on yeah just just blocking out the world like i understand everyone needs their their personal space but you don't learn anything about the world without interacting with other people Mm -hmm. and in my opinion martial arts is the best way to do that so if you're asking me from a like essentialist point of view even though Greg McEwen would be mildly upset with me. It's all in the name of sharing jujitsu. And I I think that even though I don't know exactly what I'm doing, I'm doing the best I can with what I have at the time. And the smarter I get and the better I get, and gradually the more like influence I get, Mm -hmm. the more I can help people in jujitsu. That's the hardest thing is to make a business out of jujitsu, right? Mm -hmm. To make money out of it. Yep. If we can create more industry and more jobs, more people can prosper from it, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. then eventually I can hold my own tournaments like EBI mm-hmm. and then I can get people paid and I can give young people an opportunity to compete for jiu-jitsu and make some fucking money so we can actually make this a professional sport. Yeah, that's that's the key. You know, you know so that's, yeah. you know... People will do something that makes money, right? Because that's how you get out of the ghetto. That's how you lift your life up. Now, obviously, learning principles and morals and values is important. But the biggest weakness in jiu-jitsu is it's actually not a professional sport. Yeah. And that's why all the best sports scientists are doing footy. All the best scientists are doing tennis. They're they're going nowhere near jiu-jitsu because there's no fucking money in it, right? Mm -hmm. So ultimately, if somebody can take the step to go, right, how can we make this, not just a business, but like make it a legitimate construct that people can get more out of, then more people will come to it. And that is my goal. And that is my bigger vision for the whole thing. Man, that, 
I couldn't end that on a better note, man. That is sensational. Thank you so much. Where can people find you? Man, in terms of people finding me, people can find me at JT underscore Tenacity on Instagram. Mm -hmm. They can look me up on Facebook, um, just James Tenacity Tomlinson. Mm -hmm. Um, People want to check out Jugo, it's just at Jugo Play or go to the website www.jugoplay.com. You're definitely going to be hearing a lot more about Jugo. Uh, We just sponsored the Jiu-Jitsu podcast Mm -hmm. and hopefully down the track we can sponsor Grappling Central. And then really just keep your um, keep your eyes and ears out for the adventures of Jugo, the book. Sweet man, sounds good. My man, thank you so much for doing right. this, man. Pleasure to talk to you, man. I thank you for your time, and uh, man, it'll be good to connect and uh, maybe uh, when things shake out, we can uh, do some rolling. Yeah, for sure, man. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Say, so, yeah, man. See you.